Hey, good morning, Victory. How you doing? Come on, let me hear you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us today, uh, welcome. As Zenobia and Brian said, we'd love for you to reach out and connect to one of those cards so that we can follow up with you and do our best at getting you connected in your next step. A couple of quick things before we get into the Word. First of all, you're going to see a QR code in front of you, on the seat in front of you. That is for, at any point, if you decide to take a next step. So if you, at point, some point today, decide you want to start following Jesus, or you'd like to get baptized in water, join a dream team, whatever it might be, you can do that by scanning that QR code code. It's going to send you a form that you can fill out, and then we'll be able to reach out to you and connect and help move you forward. Every Sunday, I like to take a moment and just kind of share where the finances are going. So many people support Victory every month through tithing and offering, and we always like to share stuff that's happening, not just inside, but outside. And the whole, from now on to really the end of October, uh, there's so much financial focus towards At The Movies and Trunk or Treat. I want you to get an idea that, that we put a lot of money in there for an outreach focus. And so the idea is to be able to have popcorn, have drinks available for people who can come in and have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And then at the end of that month, we provide all of the candy for this Trunk or Treat. It's a community-wide event that we promote through the YMCA. Somebody said last year that they believed it was about 2,000 people that came through that trunk or treat, and we provide all the candy for it. And so I just want to say thank you to every person that gives financially. We're able to do stuff like that. Uh, this is pretty cool. Somebody reached out to us because they called the YMCA about the trunk or treat, and their answer was, Victory handles that now. And I just thought that was cool, like, you know, just being able to push community to us. So again, thank you for all that you do. We're in a series right now called Changed Lives change lives. If you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5. And the idea in this series is, especially as we're gearing up for At The Movies, it's the idea that you and I have been transformed by Jesus. Our lives have been changed by the power of God and the grace of God. And it's important for us to realize that and then turn around and say, all right, God, use my life. Use my life to be able to impact other people. I was talking to a friend on the phone uh, about a week and a half ago or so. We were talking about tithing. And he, and, and he said, made a comment about how it's just automatic. He said, when you see all that victory is doing, you just want to be a part of it. And I think it's the idea of realizing that God's changed your life. And now God wants to use you to change other people's lives. So Luke chapter 5, verse 17, we'll read a few verses and then we'll dive into it. It says... On one of the days while Jesus was teaching, and so Jesus' popularity is gaining, he's done miracles, healing, he's preaching the word, he's got disciples and followers, and now he's teaching in this home. It says, some proud religious law keepers and teachers of the law were sitting by him. They had come from every town in the countries of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. All of these religious law keepers were there, not because they actually wanted to receive something from Jesus, but they were there because they were hoping to catch him in a lie or in a situation where they could use what he said against him. But the author goes on to let us know that the power of the Lord was there to heal them. So there was power in the house. I thought this was interesting, not just to heal the sick, but to even heal the law keepers. Did you catch that? Even to heal the religious. It says, some men took a man who was not able to move his body, so a paralyzed man, and they took him to Jesus. He was carried on a bed or on a mat is often what they would be on back in that day. It says, they, the friends, looked for a way to take the man into the house where Jesus was because in the house is where is the power to heal. 
But they couldn't find a way to take him in because there was so many people. There was such a crowd that was happening in and even out, outside of the house that they couldn't find a way to get him to Jesus. So it says that they made a hole in the roof. So these men carry this guy onto the roof. They dig a hole into the roof. And the Bible says they let the bed with the sick man on it down before Jesus. So they lower him down before Jesus. And then watch what Jesus says. This is going to be kind of our foundational verse for the day. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, everybody say their faith. Their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. I want to talk to you this morning from the idea, grab a corner, grab a corner. And so I'll make sense here in a minute. Um, at a recent meet and greet that we did, meet and greets, we do them about once a quarter, and it's an opportunity for somebody who's new to the church to come and have dinner, and Darla and I are there, and some of our leadership, and we're, we just kind of share the past, present, and future of the church, and give people an opportunity to get a little bit more knowledge, ask any question, and so on. But we were at one of them recently, and I don't remember the exact question or how I arrived at this answer, but my answer was kind of the idea of why plant a church? Why, why take your family and move and relocate and plant a church? And I started sharing about the very first time I ever went to a church. I, I had no church experience. My parents weren't saved. We weren't going to church. And so uh, for me to walk, I never heard of church. And so for me to walk into this church and start hearing the, the, the message of the gospel, to start hearing the power of God preach and the grace of God preach, it started to change me. It, it, the more I went every week, the more I learned about God, the more I learned about the love of God and the purpose of God on my life. And I was, you know, 16, 17 years old, whatever the age was. And so I, did, I was looking for purpose and it just started changing my life. And then the people of the church really uh, echoed what was being say, said from the stage. And so I started seeing their love and their support. And it just, it just changed my life, to be honest with you. And so at that point in my life, I just said, I want to be a part of creating something like the church where people can come and learn about the transforming power of God and, and see it lived out in the people of the church and their life could change. A place where they could come in on a Sunday, experience God, and leave a different person than when they came in. It's kind of the idea of why we did this to begin with. You see, I believe that every generation battles with this temptation to put their faith in something other than God. Every generation, your, your grandparents, your parents, you, your kids, your grandkids, every generation, sometimes the distraction might look different. It might be, you know, dressed up differently, but there's always a temptation trying to get you and I to put our faith in something other than God. Meanwhile, God is raising up this remnant of people, often known as the church, people who have experienced the miracles of God, experienced the faith of God, experienced the blessing of God, the grace of God, and they're being sent out to try to to help reveal to the world God's love and God's grace. And so while every generation is being thrown all of these opportunities, put your faith in yourself, put your faith in man, put your faith in this, God sends in a remnant of people, the church, to say, hey, that's not what you need to put your faith in. Put your faith in God by revealing his love and grace. It's important, though, that we believe, watch this, that even the people who seem the furthest from God are not only loved by him, but being drawn by him. If you don't believe that, then you won't walk out of here with this idea of sharing your testimony, sharing what God's done in your life. You don't believe that the furthest 
for this people, your parents, your family, your friends, your siblings, your co-workers, your boss, your kids, if you don't believe that no matter how far they are from God, number one, God loves them, but number two, he's drawing them to him. The Bible says that if we will lift up God, he will draw all people to him. And so as we're gathering in here and worshiping, he's sending out these little beacons that are drawing in. He's inside of you. And so while you're at work and while you're at home and while you're at school, there is something coming off of you that God is using to draw people to him. And if we believe it and understand it, we will pay attention to it and we will have the opportunity to impact somebody's life. Luke chapter 5 is a beautiful story, a beautiful story of four men whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. We we don't necessarily get that in the context, but we have to assume it because why else would they be so dedicated and committed to get their friend to the presence of Jesus if they did not have faith in Jesus to begin with? And so they have this faith and they are committed that they're going to do all they can. There's something aura about them where their friend realizes you got something that I need. And they say, we'll get you to him. And so they grab his mat and they carry him to Jesus. And because they refuse to give up, this man experiences Jesus and he has transformation both inside and out. It is our faith in God that gives us the opportunity to minister to others. It's what God's done in your life. It's not necessarily your religion, religious knowledge. Um, it's not necessarily your intelligence. It's the testimony of your life. It's, it's the transformation that's happened in you. It's the people who knew you both before Christ, and now they know you after Christ. It's the change that's happened to you that people see. It's that beacon that I'm talking about, and people see it, and it opens the door for you to be able to minister to people. In other words, it's your changed life. That gives you the opportunity to change lives. It's what God's done in you that opens the door for God to be able to use you and use your story to impact other people. So there are four things that we see in Luke chapter 5 when it comes to how you and I can help people. I'm going to show you two of them today and then we'll look at the next two next Sunday. But number one is this. When you and I get the opportunity to help people with our changed lives, we are helping people know God. This is one of the first G's. We built this church on four G's, grow God, give and go. And our first one is to grow, to help people grow to know God. And you and I get the opportunity from our transformed life to be able to help people know God. Let's go back to Luke chapter five. I want to read to you verse 17. It says they had come from every town in the countries of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And here's the verse that I want to talk about. And it says the power of the Lord was there to heal them. The author puts this in the story because he wants us to understand that the power of healing, this transformational power of God was in the room simply because Jesus was there. Nobody had to come and perform. Nobody had to walk through any process or actions. They didn't have to go through a checklist. They didn't have to act a certain way or follow a religious schedule. All they had to do was show up because Jesus was in the house. The author wants you to understand that simply because God is here, 
that the power of God, the power of God to change us, somebody can be changed right now. We had a gentleman who came into service this morning and got saved this morning. It can happen right now. Power can happen right now. It can happen right now, not because you went through a process, not because you followed a five-step deal, but because Jesus is in the house. And where he is, the power to heal is. Amen? In a world that's constantly looking for answers, where can I find hope? Where can I find peace? Where can I find salvation and help and all these things? In a world that's constantly looking for answers, here's one of the best things about being a Christian, a Christ follower. We have the promise of real transformation simply in the presence of God. You and I. You and I can experience change in our life simply because God is here. Well, what is that like to be a Christ follower? It can happen here. It can happen in your living room. It can happen simply because the power of God is present. You can be healed. You can be set free. You can be delivered. There's no other religion teaching this. Other religions, there's a process that you have to follow and you have to go by and you have to be approved. And God says, if you'll just come to me, if you'll just get in my presence, transformation will happen. The old will be gone. The new will come. Amen? Amen. Now, to really understand the power of this, you got to understand the context of what's happening in this story. When I tell you that this man is paralyzed in, in, in this culture and in this day, it means more than it would mean to you and I. Para, being paralyzed in that day was more than just a physical disability. It was more than just a physical disability because it was actually a spiritual issue. The, the cultural belief was that if you were paralyzed, it's because you or your parents or there was some kind of after or before life concept where there was sin. And so therefore you're paralyzed as a result of your sin. So it was this understanding that I'm a bad person and that this is right here, this is what I get for being a sinner and and it's never going to change. It's kind of an idea of like, these are just the cards I was dealt, right? Or or this statement, um, I got what I deserve. And this is his mindset. So you have to understand that not only is he paralyzed physically, not only is his entire life uh, altered by the idea that he can't get up and walk, but he is spiritually hurting. He's convinced that this right here is a result of my sin. And watch this. There's nothing I can do about it. I messed up. I did something wrong. And so he's being condemned by religious leaders who are saying, that's your fault. There's nothing you can do about it. And good luck. It's what you deserve. Can you imagine somebody telling you we're going to carry you into the presence of God? And you're like, God, God's the reason I'm like this. And they get him to God and watch this. Jesus not only heals him physically, but he heals him spiritually. When Jesus says, get up and walk, he says, your sins are forgiven. He's showing him that I'm going to heal you physically. But watch this. You are forgiven of your sins. What's so powerful about this story is he doesn't just physically heal the man. He changes his perspective of God. That's real healing. What good is it to be physically healed and then walk out believing you're still condemned? But to understand that I've been 
both physically healed and I've been set free from my sins that no longer am I a slave to that but I'm free no longer am I condemned to that but I'm free no longer am I subject to that but I'm free it was the right perspective of God it was the scales being removed from his eyes it was going from seeing God as someone who has put this on him to someone who has taken this away from him and now the right perspective of God so he was physically healed and spiritually healed I say it like this, knowing God is more than just learning of his existence. When you and I help somebody know God, when we exist as a church to help people grow to know God, it's not... We don't exist so that they learn information about God. We don't exist so that people learn that God exists. We We live or we operate so that they get the right perspective of God. But we we want them to walk in and not only experience physical healing, but spiritual healing. Yes, know that God exists, but know God the way he should be known. Know him as right. Know him as who he is. Know about his love for us and his grace and his mercy for our future. When we help people know God, it's not just about his his existence. It's about his character. It's about his love for them. It's a right perspective of who he is. It's like the little boy that was gifted a slingshot from his grandparents. And so he woke up one early morning and he went out and he started practicing everywhere he could practice with the slingshot. And no matter how many targets he set up, he missed every one of them. He, he never hit a target one time. And so finally it was time to come in for breakfast and he turns around and heads back up to his grandma's house. And as he's making his way to the house, he sees one of her porcelain statues that's in the yard. And he thinks it'd be funny to just aim and shoot at it knowing he's going to miss it because he can't hit anything. And he pulls the slingshot back, shoots it, hits it directly directly in the center and the porcelain statue shatters. Panicked, as you can imagine, he runs over and he starts digging a hole and putting all of the pieces into the hole and covers them up and steps back and looks and sees that his sister has seen the entire thing. He goes up to his sister. He says, you can't tell grandma about this. And she goes, oh, I won't. Um, She said, but you're going to do my chores for me. And he says, hey, whatever, whatever it takes, I'll do whatever it takes. And so they go in, they eat breakfast, and breakfast is over, and uh, Grandma tells him that he can go play, and he tells his sister that it's time to clean the dishes. And she goes, oh, Grandma, I'm not doing my chores today. My, my brother has volunteered to do my chores for me. And uh, she's like, okay. And so the day goes on, and this happens multiple times where it's time for the, the young lady to do her chores. And she goes, no, Grandma, I don't do my chores today. My brother has volunteered to do my chores for me. And this goes on all throughout the day, and by the time the end of the day comes, the little boy is exhausted. He's exhausted from it. He's worn out by it. And he says, this is it. I can't keep this up anymore. And so he goes into the living room where his grandmother is. And he says, grandma, I just wanted to admit something to you. I've been doing these chores because I did something bad. So when I was outside this morning, I shot one of your porcelain statues and I broke it and I hit all the pieces and my sister saw it, but I just can't keep this up. I'm exhausted. I feel bad about it. And I know you're going to be mad at me, but I am sorry. And she looks at him, she goes, honey, this morning when you did that, I was watching you out the window. She said, I saw the entire thing. And as soon as you did it, I already forgave you. She said, but what I was wondering was how long you were going to let your sister make a slave of you. This is what a right perspective of God is. To understand that we are forgiven for our sins. That because... What Jesus Christ did on a cross, we are forgiven the moment we did it. By recognizing what Jesus did, we are forgiven. But what God says is, get the right perspective of me and learn that you don't have to be a slave. 
Because you may understand you're forgiven, but you still walk around a slave to your sin, a slave to what you did, a slave to your past. And God says, if you know the right perspective of me, when you know God, you know not only are you forgiven, but you are set free from condemnation. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are set free from it. You are taken from being a slave to your sin, and you are a slave to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so by knowing a right perspective of God, you're set free. You're set free. That's what we get to do. If you don't recognize that today, then accept Christ as your Savior and be free. But if you do recognize it, then when we leave today, walk out of here with a passion and an excitement that says, I'm going to make sure people just don't know the existence of God, but they don't know the love, grace, and mercy of God. Amen? This has been our message since we started this church from when we had a handful of people in the Hogwarts house and we're gathering just to talk about it. And I remember one time we did a pancake and bacon meal cookout and the Hogwarts house smelled like bacon for a week. And I'll never forget, Brian sent me a text of a picture of a little syrupy handprint on his wall just to let me know that, you know, I was like, hey man, we're doing it all for Jesus. You know, pretty sure it was Casey Ray's hand, but we're not going to get into that right now. But we were preaching grace and mercy then, and we fast forward, y'all, and God has given us a building. God has given us a people. God has given us a mission field. Every Sunday, I meet somebody new in the lobby who says to me, y'all are in my backyard. You're five minutes from my house. You're three minutes from my house. God has planted us in a place where Antioch, Laverne, Smyrna, we can reach out. Watch this. God, we gave God one service. He filled it. We gave God two services. He's filled it. And now we're coming back to God going, keep using us because as long as we preach grace, as long as we preach the message of Jesus Christ, people will see it. They will be drawn to it. Their lives will be changed. And then they'll turn around and go, I want to help other people's lives be changed. This past week, we had 83 people in small groups. Come on, put your hands together for that. It's amazing. If you're not in a group, you need to get in a group. Because you never know. I, I, we sat in our group Friday night in a room full of great people, different stories, different backgrounds. And I just love the idea that people are going to be able to use what God's done in their life to impact the other people in the room. It's understanding that you're helping people know God. What better reason is there to live than to realize what God's done in your life and give your life to helping other people know God? So number one, we get to help people know God. Number two, we get to help people find freedom. So number one is we get to help people know God, but number two, we get to help people find freedom. Let's go back to Luke chapter 5. Watch what it says. This is kind of the the, the meat of the story, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit so it's up on the screen, but let me paraphrase. They, there's four men according to a different account of a different gospel, and this man is paralyzed, their friend is paralyzed, and he's on this mat that they would often be on. And so each man grabs a corner of this mat, and they pick him up, and they now have the, the journey um, to now carry him to Jesus. If you've ever, have you ever helped somebody move before, and you know how exhausting that is, right? It's why you make sure you have friends who only have one floor houses, right? You don't ever try to help, don't, don't friend anybody that has a second story or they're going to make you move at some point. But they're moving this guy and they get to the house where Jesus is. And the Bible says it's so crowded that they can't get to Jesus. And here was the part for me, because at that moment, I would have been okay with just going, well, we tried. Right? And don't act holy. You know what I mean? 
Like, I'd just be like, well, we tried. <laughs> like, hey, hey, man, here you go. You, we, you're here. At least you can hear his voice. But these men get to this moment, and instead of putting him down and saying, well, we tried, good job, the Bible says that they look and decide that they can take him up on the roof of the building and dig this hole into the roof and then lower him down before Jesus. And I'm just glad, for, for the benefit of us today, I'm glad that these men pushed through. I'm glad that when it was uncomfortable, it didn't stop them. I'm glad they didn't lay this man down and just go, well, we tried. But instead they say, I'm willing to be uncomfortable. I'm willing to be bothered. I'm willing to be in a place where it's uncomfortable and, and I don't like it if it means somebody's going to find Jesus. Our enemy knows that there's freedom in Jesus. See, I think we forget this sometimes, is that Satan is completely aware that if people get in the presence of God, their life changes. He's aware of it. That's why it was so hard for you to get to church this morning. And y'all are the late service. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. It's dry in here today. I see how it's going to be. But our enemy is so aware of, of how we can be impacted by the presence of God and get the freedom of Jesus that he'll use, watch this, every tool he has to try to distract us from getting to him. He'll use every frustration, every distraction. I've talked to people, you would not believe some of the distractions the enemy uses. People, I can't go to church, it's too loud. Can't go to church, it's too crowded. Can't go to church, not enough people there. You know what I mean? It's just constantly back and forth. I was talking to somebody who they almost didn't come to church because there was two different times on the website. The enemy will use anything he can use to frustrate you, anything he can use to distract you or frustrate and distract them so that they don't get in the presence of God, because if they do, their lives will be changed. Yours was, and he knows theirs will be. So when you're inviting a friend or a coworker or a schoolmate or whatever it might be, just know the enemy's going to use every distraction he can to keep them from getting in the presence of God. Dana and Christina Mooney, they oversee our first impressions. A couple years ago, they were getting invited to the church. They had been a couple times here and there, but they're neighbors to John and Emily Lowe. And so John and Emily had been, you know, inviting them and inviting them. Well, then at the movies came up and it's just a great opportunity to invite people to church. It's so different. It's so unique. And that year I was doing a series on sequels. And so every movie was a part two. And the first movie I did in that series was Creed 2. And it's a boxing movie where Michael B. Jordan has his shirt off and he's punching people, right? They don't come to church for that. And so he's punching people and blood's going everywhere. It's like the manliest movie in the world. Like, where do you get to go to church and just watch two guys beat up each other? It's like, you know, church is awesome. You know what I mean? Coke in one hand, popcorn in another. This is awesome. Jesus rules. And so, you know, it was all exciting. So, so John ends up telling Dana about it. And, and Dana's your natural man's man. You know what I mean? His beard itself is a whole nother man. Like, that's how man he is. And so he's telling him about this and, you know, it's like, this is going to be awesome. Like, what's the next movie? Maybe it's like, you know, Expendables 2 or The Equalizer 2 or something. Like, what's it going to be? This manly movie. And so him and his family, they show up that Sunday and I'm doing Frozen 2. <laughs> a little bit different. <laughs> a little bit different from Creed 2 to some little girl, you know, let it go. Let it go. You know, one week you got a manly guy in, in the lobby dressed up. Next week he's like a princess. Like, welcome to church. But God got him. Enemy was going to try to use everything he could use, but the Spirit of God got them. And their lives have been changed and have never been the same since. I'm telling you, if we can just get them in the presence of God, their life changes. But everything the enemy can do, listen, God comforts us so that we can comfort other people. 
but sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to say it again. God comforts you so that you can comfort other people, but sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. I share all the time the story of Brian inviting me to church and leading me to the Lord, and we talk about it, and I was 16 or 17 years old. I can never remember. We were in math class together, and Brian starts to invite me to church, and I had never been to church before in my life. I had no idea that I even needed God, but, but it was interesting. I, I, he was cool, and the idea of playing basketball and all this kind of stuff was cool, and so I was interested, and I went, and I've always told this story, but I realized this past week, there's a part of the story I've never really told before. Because immediately when Brian invited me to church, I, I had, there was a distraction. There was a frustration for me that was going to stop me from getting in the presence of God that I don't even know he knows. And that was because at his age at that time, he drove a car, but I didn't. So he got himself to church, but I couldn't get myself there. My dad didn't go to church. He worked late. And so this idea of being able to get away there wasn't going to happen. So even though I want to go, even though I've got somebody telling me that it's awesome, it's going to be fun and life-changing, I cannot get there. And I'll never forget it. I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but I started to tell Brian that I can't, you know, I don't drive, I can't get there. And before I could get the words out, he said, I'll pick you up. And I know to y'all, it's like, it's really no big deal. That was life-changing for me. Because what happened for the next year or two years was every week he picked me up and took me to church. What I'm trying to tell you is if you see my life and you could see me laying on this mat needing Jesus, Brian said, I'm going to grab a corner. It was important for him to be able to grab that and support me and help me get to Jesus. I, I didn't know I needed it. I knew I needed something, but I didn't know that's where it was, and I didn't know how to get to it. But he said, don't worry, I'll get you there. That in my story of my life and my salvation, he grabbed a corner. Started going to what was called Raleigh Assembly of God and started getting really involved and loving it. And they would always have these camps, these young adult camps and these discipleship walk events and things. And they were amazing. You know, was, there's something about getting away and just having some time away in the word. And um, people would start inviting me to it. And they'd come up to me and they'd say, hey, man, we're going to get together. We're going to worship at the bonfire. And, this, and you should really come. And I would just say, I can't afford it. These events were always a couple hundred dollars or whatever it be, and I just, I just, you know, we didn't have the money. And it, would never, it never failed. I could count more than two hands I can count. How many times I said I can't make it, two days later somebody come to me and go, hey, somebody paid for you to go to that event. Every time. Hey, you should come on this event. We're going to go, we're going to raft in the lake, and then we're going to worship God at night. I can't come. Hey, somebody paid for you. I mentioned a few weeks ago about me being at something called Discipleship Walk where a man sang When God Ran, and I literally at that moment gave my heart to Jesus. Somebody scholarshiped me to go to that. Why do I tell you that? Because while Brian's holding one corner, the Tammy and Ron Kenimores come over and grab the other corner. You see what I mean? Like, like there's a point where I need to get to Jesus, and people are coming and supporting. When we planted this church... We wanted to get $175,000 so that we could have everything that we needed for it to happen. We were going to launch it in September. We moved it to January. We lost nine months of fundraising. We needed $65,000. We didn't have it. I said, man, we're going to have to take out a loan. I didn't want to take out a loan because we wanted to launch the church debt-free. I didn't know what to do. Our parent church, LifePoint in Clarksville, Mike Burnett calls us and says, hey, come and shoot a video with our board. We want to tell the church about our relationship and how you're fixing the launch. We got there and Mike starts, we're on video, and Mike starts talking about money, and they come around the corner with one of those big $65,000 checks. 
I start crying, Darla's crying, I'm hugging Mike at his waist, you know, it's just awkward. But that was a way of them grabbing another corner. And my message to you is that God has transformed your life so you can grab a corner. God changed your life so that you can go find somebody who needs a life to be changed and you can be like, hey, they got that corner, I'll get this one. You say, well, Troy, how do I do that? I don't even know what that practically looks like. Well, in the church world, I'm going to tell you right now, there's three very practical ways, at least at Victory, that you can grab a corner immediately. Number one, you do it just by coming to church and inviting people. By simply being in the room, you already help other people get to Jesus. When they look over and see you worshiping, when they sit by you and get a hug or a high five in between, like there's moments where you just being in the room, where you invite people, where you're grabbing a corner. Number two, serving on a dream team. Somebody who's coming into church today, if they walk in and the door's not open, and the coffee has a sign in front of it that says, make your own, and if it's empty, figure it out. They go to drop off their kids, and there's nobody there, and they have to bring their kids into church with them, and they get in here, and there's no production and no worship, and it's just me going, hi, welcome. But it's the dream team that's grabbing a corner of their life. And then also through tithes and offerings, through the finances that we're able to provide stuff for people to come in and experience life-changing power of God. So when we do that, look, when we show up and invite, we grab a corner. When we serve, we're grabbing a corner. When we're giving, we're grabbing a corner. And no matter who it is, the young man that got saved this morning on the mat, and because you serve, and because you give, and because you invite, that man was carried to Jesus. I want to share a couple things that we're working on. I just want to get you, I wanted to share a little bit of vision throughout this series and let you know what God's doing in this church so that you're ready for it. See why we need you. There's three things that we're going to really focus on over about the next year. Number one is going to be our next generation ministry. We, everybody in this church is pregnant. It feels like it's crazy. It's like a thousand people pregnant in this church right now. If you're trying to get pregnant, just come to church. It's amazing how it happens. I don't know what the Mooney's put in the coffee, but it works. But the kids ministry is growing. The youth ministry is growing. And so we're wanting to make that more and more excellent as God uses us in this area. We want to focus on our Sunday and Wednesday experiences, bringing more excellence, more stuff there where in talks right now to have a camp next summer for our kids and our youth. We're in talks to, to develop a family devotional plan that we're hoping to roll out at the beginning of the year for you so you can sit at the table no matter what the age of your kids are and you can sit there and have some family devotional time. And then we're working on getting in the school, scouts in the school right now every week and we're working on getting in more schools. I meet with the guy this week that's over what's called first priority for how we can get in some schools in the Antioch area. So we're wanting to really raise up that next generational ministry. Number two is this, we're wanting to, to make better this experience in here. Some of it's for you, but I'll be honest with you, it's more for those that are watching online. Let me explain. We want to have right cameras and sound and lighting and all of that. And again, it's for you. We always want your experience in here to be the best that it can be. But right now, for everybody who watches online, the experience doesn't relate to what's happening in this room. But here's the biggest thing, is that right now, social media is the easiest way to market the gospel there's ever been. And you can take clips of sermons like this. You can take clips of our worship. You can take clips of videos from our lobby. And you can put them on the TikTokies and the Instagrammies and all those kinds of things. And while somebody is scrolling through their social media, they see a sermon that touches their heart. They see a clip and they go, wait, that's powerful. Where is it? Oh, that's in my backyard. 
And people who live right around here can see it and be able to find that this church is right in their backyard. We hear it every week. I didn't know you were this close. I didn't know you were three minutes from my house. God is moving through this church. But to be able to use that tool and, and have a social media, you know, flooding of what's happening in here. But guess what? That costs money. You got to buy the cameras. You got to buy the lights. You got to buy it all. And then third is this. We are working through our growth plan. This is one of the most exciting things for me because I sit with pastors all the time who are struggling because the church isn't growing. And we have a growth problem. I love saying that. When you have a growth problem. When, when right now, both services on an average are over 85% full capacity. Studies say that once you get to 84%, people who come in will actually turn around and leave because they can't find a seat to be seated. And so God is growing our church. And I remember I was in Florida a year ago and I was in the ocean. I felt the spirit of God remind me of the woman, the widow who went and got all the jars and, and they started filling them up until she didn't have any jars. And I felt the Lord say, as long as you give me a vessel, I'll fill, I'll fill it. And so we gave him one service and he filled it. So then we gave him two services and he filled them. So now we're talking and we're trying to figure out, is it a third service? I don't know if you paid attention, but this building behind us, right here is next to us, their lease is up and the sign has come down and the building's empty. And so we've sent out an email and a phone call and said, hey, we're interested. And they let us know how much it's going to cost and we can't afford it. But guess what? We couldn't afford this. <laughs> Isn't it great to be in a place where God is moving, where it's growing? Every day you're looking and you see new faces and God is changing lives. But look, we recognize that the next generation has to rise. We have to be ready. We recognize that our online presence has to be better. And most of all, we recognize that we have to make room. At the movies is weeks away and I expect this to be a standing room only. Both services, we got to make room. And maybe it's this building. Maybe it is. I hope it is because it's another miracle of God. Maybe it's three services, four services, four. maybe it's a whole different place. I don't know. But guess what? In order to achieve any of these things, you and I have to grab a corner. We have to be ready. We need you here and inviting. We need you serving. We need you giving. Because as these things happen, it positions us so that as God starts carrying people in the door who need Jesus, we are ready to get them in the presence of God. And I just want you to understand that God changed your life. So why would you want to give your life to anything else but helping other people experience the life-changing power of God? That's what I wanted to do. God, you changed my life. I want to give my entire life to other people being able to experience you. Let's do it. Amen, church? Jesus went on to say in that moment, they lower this man to Jesus, and he sees their faith, and he forgives his sins. And that was always a little strange to me, that he would see these people's faith, but forgive his sins. I didn't quite, wasn't able to line it up. And then I got into ministry and I started seeing examples of this in my life where it was because of people's faith in God that led other people to the presence of God that led to the forgiving of their sins and the transforming of their life. And I wanted to share with you just briefly a story of this that just happened right in front of your eyes. You didn't even know what happened. I want to give us that and an opportunity to pray. Last Sunday after this service, the second service, we were able to baptize some incredible life stories. And the last lady that we baptized was a lady by the name of Miss Joan. And Miss Joan is 85 years old. Come on, you can give God praise for that. 
gave her life to Jesus, baptized. If you were here, there wasn't a dry eye. As people were walking out, they're boo-hoo, crying, that was so pretty. You know, it's just like makeup's everywhere. It's a great story, but you don't even know the whole story. Like, how did she even get to this point? Mike and Susan Slinker and the Slinker family, they are a part of Victory on the Dream Team, just a heartbeat of the church. You know them, you'll love them, they're great people. They happen to be neighbors to Miss Joan. And naturally, because they're great people and they love the Lord, they kind of built up a friendship with Miss Joan and just anything that she might need if she needed help. She was widowed at the time, and, you know, or widowed, and if she needed help mowing the grass or taking out the trash, they just built a really good friendship. It wasn't too long after that that Mike's family, this, they call them the Slinker Five. They're, they're five siblings. They're so tight. They're just incredible. And the youngest of them, his brother, tragically passed away. Three days after his 45th birthday, nobody saw it coming. It wasn't expected. This man was just the life of the party. He loved Jesus. He was an incredible guy. And so it, it hit the family really hard. You know, it'd be real easy to start questioning God and why are you doing what you're doing? And Mike is in the process of preparing the funeral. And he, swing by, he swings by Miss Joan's house to deliver the paper. And he opens the door and he walks in and Miss Joan is on the floor. So immediately he grabs the phone, he calls 911. They end up coming, they take her to the hospital, they begin the process of helping her get better. After she starts feeling better, her and Mike start talking, they start negotiating, getting her to Traditions, the senior assisted living that we partner with in Smyrna. She gets there, doing great. And once she gets better, she asks Mike one day, she says, what, what happened? What happened to me? And so Mike starts telling her the story. And in the process, he mentions that he was preparing the funeral for his brother. And so they start talking about his brother. And Mike says to Miss Joan, he says, uh, he's in heaven now with Jesus. And Miss Joan's response to him is, I hope one day I go to heaven. Mike sees that obviously as an opportunity and starts to share the gospel with her. And right there in that room gets the opportunity to lead her to Jesus. After that happens, she says, I want to get baptized. We had scheduled for her to get baptized in June. We had a baptism service, but she got sick. And just out of precaution and safety, we just said, let's wait. Don't want to mess anything up. And so we rescheduled her for September, which if you were here last Sunday, you saw happen right here in this room. And I think, I don't know if you saw this, if you didn't know the story, it didn't really mean much at the time, but I'm on the other side of the baptism when I watch Mike lean over and pick Miss Joan up. And he starts walking up the stairs. And all I could think about was, he's carrying her. There's no powerful, no more powerful opportunity that you and I will ever experience in our life than to be able to help carry somebody to Jesus. And, and the Bible says that some water the seed, one plant, you know, one water the seed, one plant the seed, but God makes it grow. So maybe, maybe you're just grabbing a corner. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's involved. But there's nothing like being a part of a story that's been changed by God. And there are more Jones and there are more Mikes. But God has changed our life. So let us be attentive to the opportunity to God show me where and I'll grab a corner so that somebody might find Jesus. Amen. Do me a favor, everybody stand in this place. There are two people in this room. 
First, is somebody in here, your life has been changed by Jesus, transformed, you understand the power of God. And here's my challenge to you. Grab a corner. Start asking God, what do you want to do? How do you want to use me? Start serving, start giving, start inviting. Let God use your life, your changed life, to change other people's lives. The other person in the room is somebody that your life hasn't been changed yet. But that can happen today. The power of God can change your life today. The Bible says you just believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, and you'll be saved. And then God comes alongside and begins to live life with you. You have a place to go to. You're walking with him. So do me a favor. Everybody here, close your eyes. If you're a changed life, my prayer for you right now and that you would be praying is that, God, give me a burden. Give me a passion. Remind me of what you've done with my life so that I'd walk out of here hungry to help other people's lives be changed. God, move on my heart to serve. Move on my heart to invite. Move on my heart to give. Remind me of what you've done in my life so that I can give my life to you. If you're in here and your life's never been changed, right now just say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and I give my life to you. It can happen right now. Whether you are changed and you want to be changed or whether you need to be changed, it can happen right now. And here's why. Because the power of God is in this place. So Father, right now, we just lift up every person in this room. If you've done a work in their life, I pray for that, that you would strike that fire that hunger to, to give back to you, to give back to your church, to give back to anything that helps other people find you. If there's somebody in here who they've never given their life to you, they're hurting, they need change. The same God that was in that room then is in this room now. You can still change lives today. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. All they have to do is surrender right now and just say, God, I need you. Come on, if you need change, make that your prayer. God, I need you. If you want to take your transformed life right now, just say, God, take my life. You can have my life. Come on, let's begin to worship him because we love him, because all he's done in our life, because when we seek him, he hears and he answers. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Father.